Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and more. Go ahead and check out the description of this episode so you can find the link to our link tree, get access to all of our socials, as well as our YouTube channel so you can watch all of our episodes in full. Okay, we're now at the Charlotte and bring on Josh Graham from WSJS Sports, uh, his own podcast, The Drive, with Josh Josh Graham. Been doing that for over about five years now. You told me, Josh, no Charlotte sports, inside and out, pro sports, college sports. Going to start with the Panthers, break down some uh, Duke basketball as well as as as, um, some NC basketball. Basketball tipped off just last night in college, and we're going to break it all down with you. Third season ahead, what we can expect. But like I said, I do want to start with the Panthers. Two weeks ago, Panthers did beat the uh, the Texans at home. How big was this win considering the narrative going on between Bryce Young and CJ Stroud? And um, how, you know, how they built off this momentum going into the rest of the season? Now, of course, they just lost to the Colts this past weekend. But just how big was this win? Again, just given this QB battle that they have between the number one and number two overall pick this past year. Well, before Sunday, I would have said it was a really, really big deal. And... You could probably make the argument that Bryce is in a better place than C.J. Stroud was. But then Bryce has literally the worst game of his life. Two pick sixes, three interceptions. The only other time he had three picks in a game was his final high school game. Didn't do it at Alabama. Three, four years of high school football, his final game. But the details are important in that. He had five touchdowns in that game as well, his last game at high school and Three interceptions, one of them was on a Hail Mary on the final play of the game. So we've literally never seen Bryce Young play as bad as he did on Sunday. Frank Wright called it a one-in-a-million type game when meeting with the media yesterday. The win against the Texans was important because if you lost at home to C.J. Stroud and then C.J. Stroud threw for a record 470 yards, then every single conversation across the country is that you blew it trading up for the number one pick. Now, there still is a chance that Carolina did that. The problem is we're probably not going to know that until a year, two from now, and people don't like to wait. They like to leap to conclusions. And when you do that, you might make mistakes, like everybody believing that Baker Mayfield was better than Josh Allen after half of a season in 2018 or a few years ago that perhaps, you know, Justin Herbert is better than Joe Burrow because of the first few games as well, where Herbert blossomed a lot sooner than Joe Burrow did. So that's that's the takeaway from the last couple of weeks, and now Carolina has a short week getting set for the Bears Thursday night. What, do you th- what are the fans thinking of Bryce Young during his rookie season so far? Well, there are a few things with that. The Panthers aren't playing all that well. Bryce isn't the problem until Sunday. He wasn't the problem. Uh, the offensive line has been bad, and you know some of that. You, uh, it's hard to really blame Frank Reich for that because the offensive line was a strength a year ago when Steve Wilkes was the interim coach, and you're running the ball predominantly, you're not really r- throwing it all that often. So I think those analytic, pro football focus type numbers might have overinflated how good this line was, and more specifically the left tackle that they took in the top ten, Ike Aquanu. He seems to have regressed. He hasn't been good in pass protection. You lose Brady Christensen in the first half of the first game for the entire season. Austin Corbett, their right guard, who was on the Rams Super Bowl team, he hasn't been available until that Texans game uh, nine days ago. He hasn't been available the entire season. So the O-line hasn't been all that good. So Bryce hasn't been all that good. And that comes to be expected for rookies. And fans generally are not very patient with it, especially when you have an owner that since he took over in 2018, Carolina has not had a winning season. In fact, they've had the worst record in the NFL since 2019. So fans, they're upset about that. And then the Bryce piece of him not playing all that well, coupled with CJ blossoming the way he has in Houston, has led Panther fans to be understandably very frustrated. So I've heard a lot about the owner obviously taking over. He was from the it was a minority owner with the Steelers or he had a stake in them. Now he That's is right. with the Panthers owning the team. What are the fans thinking of Dave Teppert, if I'm if I'm saying that correctly? David Tepper, that's right. Yeah, and uh, what do the fans think of him so far? Obviously, you just said they've had a losing, se- haven't had a winning season since 
2018, but are the fans starting to blame ownership or? Yeah, that's, that's happening. And that happens anywhere when you don't mm -hmm. win for, cause you got to consider this when, when they're in the state of North Carolina, you had until Charlotte FC was purchased in recent years and they started professional soccer here. You had the Carolina Hurricanes in Raleigh. The Hornets have been irrelevant for three decades. And you have the Carolina Panthers here. And in 2018, the Hurricanes were purchased by a man named Tom Dundon. The Carolina Hurric uh, the Panthers were purchased by David Tepper. And at that point, the Hurricanes had missed the playoffs nine consecutive years. People were talking about relocation and, oh, my gosh, can hockey work in the South, that type of thing. And meanwhile, the Panthers had Cam Newton, Luke Keekley. They were fresh off a playoff appearance in 2017 when he took over the team. So one was riding high. One was as low as you can get. Ever since Tom Dundon arrived in, in Raleigh, the Hurricanes have made the playoffs every single year, the last three years winning their division, and now betting favorites going into the year to win the Stanley Cup, while the Panthers, again, a playoff team with Keekley, Cam, Thomas Davis, the whole deal. Ron Rivera, you're winning his coach in franchise history. And you haven't been to the playoffs one time. And you you whiffed on the Matt Rule hire. No question about that. Some A lot of people wanted them to hire Steve Wilkes as the interim coach. They hire Frank Reich instead. To be fair, we don't know if, what Frank Reich's going to be yet. It's still too early to decide that. And now you see C.J. Stroud doing as well as he's doing, while Bryce is off to a rougher start, which is, you know, normal for quarterbacks taking number one, but still frustrating when you see something abnormal like what CJ's doing. Yeah, people are pissed. People are pissed at, at ownership, and it's because this is a team that less than a decade ago was in the Super Bowl. This is a team that the decade before that went to the Super Bowl. This is not the Cleveland Browns. This is not a franchise where the fan base has become apathetic with losing. They're not used to that. And now that they are losing, they don't know who to blame other than ownership because that's the one constant with all the losing. Okay, we now head to the Midwest and talk to Dana Hughes, uh, Dana Hughes, uh, color analyst for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Dana, awesome to have you on. Really thank you for your time. Where else can we find you? Where else can we listen to you before we get started here talking about the Chiefs uh, ahead of the season off their bye week? Oh, well, Jared, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. This is obviously a great time to be a Chiefs fan and be a part of the Chiefs organization. And uh, yeah, my name is Danon Hughes, and I do I am the color analyst for the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. I also uh, have the privilege and honor of, and I'm blessed to call college baseball, college football, college basketball for the ESPN networks and some with the Big Ten network. So uh, all the sports that I grew up playing and, and watching and being a great fan of, I got a chance to play college and professional baseball as well as professional football. Um, so just being able to stay in that zone and kind of feel like I still got one foot in the locker room is always kind of cool for me. So I've been doing that for, gosh, 15 plus years. Uh, to my knowledge, I am the only analyst uh, that broadcast games for all four major sports, which is pretty unique uh, okay. when you consider most most times the analyst is the special. He specializes in just the one sport that he played. So I've been fortunate that those networks have given me a platform to stay connected to all three sports on the college level. Yeah, I would definitely be broadcasting that. That's awesome. Yeah, only only one that you can think of that yeah. has done all four sports at a pro level. That's that's really cool. Uh, I, so we'll get into your playing career. I know you played with the Chiefs as well, obviously. We'll get into that maybe a little bit later. But I do want to start with the team in general as a whole. Chiefs obviously just coming off their bye, win, uh, bye week with that impressive win against the Dolphins. Some people still think the Chiefs' offense, though, looks a little off. I mean, it, it very similar to the, the Eagles right now, Eagles being the best team record-wise, anyhow, in the NFL. But a lot of people say their offense also looks kind of off. And same thing with the Chiefs last year. I mean, the Chiefs, maybe this time of the season, they might not have looked as hot as people thought they were going to look, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You know, wide receivers kind of a big issue for the Chiefs right now. But what do you say about the people out there that are saying – the Chiefs' offense just doesn't look 
as top notch as it should be, and this might be a problem down the stretch. Like, what do you say to those those people heading into? Just wait. <laughs> I say just mm-hmm. wait. Uh, there's nobody, to my knowledge, I've been around the game of football for a long time. Nobody's won a Super Bowl in November. Um, yep. I don't yep. think. Uh, I, I'm sure that the, the the fans in Philly are probably saying the same thing, but I'm sure in that locker room, those guys recognize it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you have to be in a position to always get better. And there are some teams, and you, if you look across the landscape of the NFL, there are some teams that have played their best football already. And they have nothing left to add. They have nothing left to grow in. And those are the teams that usually falter as you get to week 14, 15, 16, 17, and into the playoffs. So for me, I am happy in some respect that we're still, there's still growth and opportunity within our offense. Uh, the dominance of the defense, to think about, like, I don't know in recent history where we've seen a team have the best quarterback, the best tight end in the game, uh, and the best def- one of the best, if not the best, defensive linemen in the game, and we're talking about just the defense. You have an MVP, a Super Bowl MVP, uh, a record-breaking tight end, uh, mm-hmm. on the offensive side, and the story of the first half of the season has been what the defense has done. To me, that's a great, that's a great attribute, that we're not, we haven't arrived on the offensive side, but imagine what this game will look like. Imagine what the Chiefs will look like as we wind down in the stretch and we're playing the Bengals going into the playoffs. we got to play the Chargers later in the season. we got to, uh, you know, a little bit of a gauntlet. We have the Bills still at home. Uh, Got to go up to New England for Monday night football. Uh, all these different teams that are going to play us just like we are the, the Super Bowl champs. And we haven't even touched the ceiling yet of what our capabilities will be. Now, if this question arises in six weeks and we're still talking about it, then there might be some concern. But to me, halfway through, I'm okay with uh, the, the progress that we're making. Talk about the defensive side of the ball, though. Chiefs, a lot of people look at them as an offensive team. A lot of that's because of Patrick Holmes, obviously, and what he can do, the magic he can do on the field. But, the, I mean, Steve Steve, uh, Stagnoli, excuse me. I mean, do you think he's been underrated this whole time? And do you think he might have a ho- head coaching job next year if he continues the success he's had so far with the Chiefs? I mean, it's arguably the best defense that they've had under Patrick Holmes so far since he's been there since 2018. Oh, absolutely. Uh, To me, it is the best defense. And the way they're executing on defense is better than how they're executing. I mean, you know, the way they're doing it versus the numbers that they put up. uh, You only allowed one team to score over 21 points. um, To me, has been phenomenal, especially in this day and age where all the rules are leaning towards the offense. Uh, It's about high strike quick strike type of plays, the spreading of offenses against this defense. And don't forget how young our defense is. I mean, you consider the arsenal that we have on defense is very special, especially in the back end. We had the Fab Five last year, five rookies contribute. One of those guys is down for the year on an injury, but we have four Mm -hmm. second-year guys that are contributing in a major fashion. Uh, in the back end, and then with Nick Bolton, our team leader in tackles, the leader on defense going down, we haven't missed a step with Drew Tranquil, the the acquiree from the Chargers coming in, and then Chris Jones being Chris Jones. So uh, I know we can talk a lot about the offense and, and, and what Patrick Mahomes is and has been, but you're right. This is the best defense that he's been playing with throughout his career. Yeah, 15.9 points per game so far allowed. Only, uh, I think it's the best in the league, actually. And it's actually the best the team's had since their 9-0 start back in 2013. So a great, you know, defensive uh, start for the team so far. And I think it's actually one of the most underrated parts of, uh, you know, of this team in general. What about the wide receivers, though? I think, and I know you've already touched on it a little bit in the intro when we started talking, but the wide receivers, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, on pace to have one of his worst passer rating years of his career as, Mm -hmm. you know, in the NFL. Were fans kind of upset they didn't maybe make a move at the trade deadline to help maybe get some help on the passing game for Patrick Mahomes? 
I think there's always a concern about that, and people will probably automatically look back to Aaron Rodgers' tenure with the Green Bay Packers. I think the biggest knock up in Green Bay is that they had, what, a three-time MVP, and they never drafted a guy before Devontae Adams. I don't think they drafted a guy earlier than the second round or something like that. So there's always that concern is, are you using or uh, not utilizing greatness in the best way by surrounding them with greatness? Um, but what I can tell you is that in using a second-round pick on Rasheed Rice, an early-round pick on, on uh, Sky Moore uh, in the past years, having veterans that are surrounding them, yeah, we'd like to see if there was if there was a grading process for the first half of the season, you'd have to say that the wide receivers, as far as consistency, uh, hasn't been up to par. But that doesn't mean that that's all they have in the tank. Uh, but yeah, I think the question is valid. If fans, if you don't see super greatness from Patrick Mahomes, you automatically think it's either going to be the offensive line or the wide receivers. The offensive line has done a, a, a solid job protecting him. The wide receivers have to step up on their part. I do want to touch base, though, real fast, though, guys, on Tom Brady's comments that he made last week about the NFL being a mediocre product. I know we kind of already touched on it very, very briefly last week, but I did want to go through it a little bit further more uh, this, you know, in opening today. What are you guys' thoughts on it in general? Like I said, Zach, I know you already kind of alluded to it last week, what your thoughts on it as well, but I I think it is a, an interesting topic of conversation just in general with how the NFL has been this year. Uh, penalties have been a big issue. Uh, NFL is changing. I mean, then scoring's down. We'll get into that. Uh, you know, play calling's a lot bit, a lot different now. A lot, you know, you know, protect the players more. Calls are being made to protect the players more. What all, like, what all do you guys think about, you know, these comments? Zach, do you have anything else to add? Justin, do you want to add anything? Like, what, are, what else do you guys have to really say about these comments and Tom Brady saying uh, NFL kind of, you know, declining in value a little bit here. I don't think he's off base because I don't think there's as many great quarterbacks as there were in his era. I mean, think about this. Ten years ago, we had Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers. Like, every big-time team had an elite quarterback. Eli Manning was even in that conversation. We don't really have that now. We've got a couple of guys that are obviously great. But this season in particular, just think of the injuries. You know, Aaron Rodgers out for the season. Sean Watson out for the season. Joe Burrow out for the season. When you don't have great quarterback play, the league tends to be a little bit boring. I mean, so I, I get what he's saying. I don't think this is the week to uh, say that the NFL is boring because we had a lot of great games yesterday. But I totally understand his point because if you don't have elite quarterback play, then, yeah, sometimes it becomes an unwatchable mess. Just look at you know the Patriots-Giants game yesterday, for instance. But, no, I, I, I don't think he's entirely off base. And if anybody's qualified to make – that kind of comment it's obviously yeah. tom brady <laughs> league definitely did not like him making that comment not somebody like him for sure scoring though has been down uh fourth consecutive season in the nfl uh teams are combining to score just 43.3 points per game that's down from 43.8 last season and 45.9 in 2021 the league is on pace for its lowest scoring season on average since 2009 when teams combined for 42.9 points a game they want to bring it up too, just in light of Alex Smith's comments. I think he was on ESPN. Uh, the you know, there's some Sunday more uh, Sunday NFL countdown on ESPN. I think he was kind of snapping snapping back a little bit at yeah. these comments yesterday by Brady. Uh, you know, he's saying you know quarterback play is at an all time high. He uh, you know scoring is down because defensive linemen are much better than they've always been. They're probably the best they've ever been in you know his entire career. He said so. That's another thing to keep in mind too. But I don't like like you said, Zach. I don't think. Tom Brady's comments were completely offline. Uh, I do think the game is changing a little bit, though, and uh, a lot of this play calling schemes and the coaching decisions is is leading to lower scoring games, which is a good thing and also a bad thing at the same time, of course, like we just said. I'll say this, too, about defenses this year. This is a much better year for defenses. And last year, yeah, I mean, it was better for offenses, but for defenses this year, it's been better. That's what I will say. But the offense, but I feel like there is better quarterback play uh, than there were than there was 30 years ago. I think we can agree on that. Offensive play, too. But this isn't a defensive first league like it was 20 years mm -hmm. ago, 30 years ago, even when Brady first stepped into the league. I mean, some of the penalties 
are completely, you know, are completely uncalled for, like roughing the passer. And the thing with roughing the passer is it's it's way too enforced. It's way too enforced on defensive side of the ball. And <clears throat> with the with the roughing the passer penalties, they gotta they they may have to stop calling that penalty, to be honest with you. Yeah. Even I mean, even if it's, you know, intentional. I mean, yeah. I would say that there's there should be some intentional calls and whatnot, but there's too many penalties. There's too many uncalled for penalties. And Aaron Rodgers kind of echoed the same thing. He said, well, yeah, it's a softness, not just in the league, but outside of sports and, you know, not going to get uh, yeah. into the whole societal thing and whatnot. But, um, you know, this this should have been a – I mean, for the league to do this, I mean, they need to start uh, start calling less penalties too, and then the quarterback yeah. play should obviously be better. Um, like I said last week, there should be more of, of a grace period for rookie quarterbacks in the league, um, <clears throat> first-round quarterbacks especially. Um you don't need to. You don't need to play them. You don't need to play them uh, for the first game and just throw them out there. Just give them yeah. some time. Give them. Give them some time to develop the playbook. And we've seen the Jets do that. We've seen a lot of teams do that. But I don't think it's that bad of a mediocre product. I think the NFL needs to get things in order. Again, the TV ratings are up. Right. Yeah. The TV ratings are up. The, the money is up in the league, obviously. and that matters. And that matters. And that yeah. obviously matters. Ratings are the it's first that thing that matters. That's right. That yeah. is the first so. thing that matters in this business. Yeah. One of the biggest things Tom Brady said in his quotes, uh, just being about the, the play calling, like you said, Justin, just how the play calling is a lot more predicated on protecting players and how players need to protect themselves because – uh, you know, you've heard a lot of people say this too. It wasn't just Tom Brady. Many other players have came out and said this in the past as well about how the game used to be a lot tougher and refs weren't looking out for players back then when they played. So I think uh, a lot of players are kind of looking at the game now and it might be a little bit more soft uh, given the fact that, you know, a lot of play calls, like you said, Justin, are predicated on protecting the players and keeping them safe. But um, at the end of the day, who knows? I mean, it's players a lot faster, a lot stronger this, uh, you know, now than they were even 10 years ago a lot especially a lot faster so maybe it is nice to have uh play calls to uh you know calling fouls i should say excuse me to protect players but at the end of the day uh, i still think it's good to have things in place to protect players because at the end of the day if players get injured well then they're not going to play and then that's going to be a bad product as well so especially on the quarterback side of the ball right i think the league is developing you know as we're talking about the league is developing into a more protective league for the players and, you know, more protective here and more protective there. But I think it's, I think at the same time, it's a little bit overblown. And at the same time, I think the league is involved is evolving. It is evolving from what it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But at the same time, I don't think it should stop evolving but I don't think it should become flag football, which I don't think it'll ever be as I know that some former players have said that. I know some uh, analysts even has said, you know, and fans have said, this is going to be flag football. I, it better not be, it better not be because that ruins the product yeah. of the league. Save it for I the, don't believe it will save it for the Olympics, the pro bowl. Yeah. <laughs> the pro bowl. <laughs> Okay, we now head to the City of Angels and bring back on recurring guest Maria Soreo um, from RPV TV, Channel 33 in the local Los Angeles era. Maria, how you doing? Had to have you on. Shohei Otane coming out. Uh, co- I mean, well, not coming out. Going to the Dodgers next year. I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, first off and foremost, we'll get into some Rams, Chargers as well, and then maybe even some Lakers winning the in-season tournament at the end. But I, I want to get your thoughts on the craziness that was going on with this Shohei Otane deal. You you go on Twitter, you go online, ESPN, Athletic, it doesn't really matter where you went. You were hearing reports all throughout the woodwork about where he was going to go, Giants, Cubs, Toronto. 
And it's funny because the team that everyone thought he was going to go to at the first place, he ended up actually going to despite all the whisper down the lane that was going on with this deal. And so what was the overall impression? Like, did you ever, were you ever doubtful that he was not going to the Dodgers? Because even before the 2023 season even started last year, it was pretty much a lot of speculation that he was indeed going to go to the Dodgers. And just at the end of the day, I mean, just kind of take me through your thoughts on him finally choosing the Dodgers. And then just in light of, especially all that, you know, whispering and false narratives that were going on online about where else he might sign. Well, thanks for having me back on. And yes, it has kind of been Otani crazy here in Los Angeles. And, you know, it it actually kind of started in August when after he had that injury and then he stopped playing baseball and it was, okay, well, he's a free agent after the season's over. Where is he going? And of course, there was a lot of Dodger buzz. And then there was a lot of buzz that, you know, he, he likes to sort of have that autonomy and maybe he was going to stay in Anaheim. And so- we were all kind of like, well, we'll see. And so all the reporters in Los Angeles were like, yeah, you know, maybe he'll just stay in Anaheim. There wasn't a lot of talk about the Dodger talk was kind of, it was kind of in the background, you know, but nothing. And then when the season ended, it was, I had a list. It was, here were the teams that were for sure going to talk to Otani and they were in the running. It was the Giants. It was Toronto. It was Texas. It was Houston. It was Atlanta. It was St. Louis. Um, Let me see. It was San Diego, uh, Seattle. So there was, I mean, the list went, I I ran out of fingers. It was just like Mm -hmm. on and on and on and on. And then it really sort of came down to, okay, it was either the Dodgers or Toronto. And that's when it just got like bat crazy over the last few days when the reports were, I mean, my phone was blowing up. I'm like, what is going on? And and I'm sure this, you saw the same things on Twitter and Instagram. It was just like, you know, Otani is flying to Toronto Mm -hmm. and he's going to sign with Toronto. And it it was kind of crazy. And, And so then Saturday morning, I am actually in Macy's and my phone just starts dinging, 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 dinging. And like, what is happening? And it's Otani is going to the Dodgers as per his Instagram account. And I will not, I will not report anything unless the team has told me, the players told me. So he did, he told everybody, he's like, I'm going to the Dodgers. It's the team I picked. And it was, but it was, I mean, there were, I think there were thousands of articles people wrote about this guy leading up to this moment. Yeah. It was a real world, like where, you know, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Like it was a real, real life situation happening there. I mean, I heard reports he was on Toronto and, and, you know, on a plane going to the Toronto. And then I heard he wasn't, you know, you go on Twitter. I I kid you not, Maria, I I was on Twitter on, this would have been Friday, I guess. You know, I I read a, you know, one, one treat, a tweet was he made a decision. The next one, he has not made a decision. Yeah. And the third one I read, he's made it, made a decision. And then the fourth one I read, he has not made a decision. And then you said it, I mean, every single team in the MLB was being thrown out there. Every single yeah. team. I haven't even heard of St. Louis. Uh, you just said St. Louis. That's even another team that I've heard of now. It's, it was just insane insanity. And, you know, the speculation that was going on, the little birdies, everything that was just, it was just crazy. And then, um, you know, finally going to the Dodgers and, it's funny, ironically, and like I said, at the end of the day, he ended up going to the team everyone thought he was going to go to. <laughs> so, but, and then, the... but you know what's you know what's kind of funny about that though is you know somebody who covers the Dodgers every day and the Angels, so you know the Dodgers need pitching like very yeah. badly, and mm-hmm. so even though it was like okay, you just spent seven hundred million dollars on Joey Otani, you still have no starting pitching. You've got kids that are coming up, which is great. And you've hopefully got Tony Gonsolin and Walker Bueller coming back, but and Clayton Kershaw maybe midseason. And so it was there was a part of me that thought, well, if you know, if we get Yamamoto, he starts on day one. That's fantastic. But the deal that we're hearing now is that Otani will take, he'll defer some of his money so the Dodgers yeah. can go out a and lot of they his can, money. Yeah. So that yeah. they can go out and I don't know if they'll get Yamamoto. That's, you know, maybe they're talking 300 million for him. Possibly it's, it's monopoly money at this point for the rest of us, but they definitely have to get two starting pitchers. There's, there's no question. Yeah. And I mean, how about that, that report, the reports, I mean, it was only an hour before me and you came online here to talk. I mean, an hour or two before these reports were coming out about him deferring, what, 68 million of his 
yearly, uh, you know, yeah. salary until the end of his tenure contract. And I've never seen, I mean, I, I guess it kind of shows a win now mentality for, uh, for Shohei Otani though. Wouldn't you say, I mean, what else would it really be? Well, I think it does. I think that he, you know, he has said more than anything that he really wants to win now. And yeah. He wanted to go to a team that was ready to win and set up to win. And obviously, um, you know, the Dodgers are a very good team. They've got Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and Will Smith. You've got so many guys that are are ready to go, um, you know, and they've got a pretty good bullpen already. But, you know, the starters is really kind of the that that's the Achilles. So, you know, for him to defer some money now in the end, we don't, we don't really know how much yet, how this mm -hmm. is all going to go down. And I'm not sure we're going to exactly know, because as you know, like these things kind of leak out, we don't exactly know how it's going to go. But my big question mark is because we've never really been told, did he just have Tommy John surgery or did he have a stem cell procedure? We don't really know that. Now mm -hmm. I would assume they he has to tell the Dodgers and he has to disclose that, but yeah. they, he doesn't have to tell the media. And so think about this. He, he starts next season, you know, day one as a hitter, but what if he never pitches again? Is yeah. he a $700 million hitter? Yeah. Well, Zach, so uh, Zach, my, you know, my co-host, he, in the, uh, before this interview in our, you know, intro that we do, he mentioned it. He might, take the same path that um, Bay Roof took when he went to the Yankees. He might never pitch again. Maybe he, he might end up finding out he's more uh, effective and, uh, you know, can provide more to a team uh, when he does play strictly offense, especially, you know, as, you know, his arm health gets a little bit older yeah. and it's with all these, with the surgery he just had. But of course, you know, not pitching for the next season, 2024, we already, that's pretty much already a lock. He's not going to, pitch next no. season unless i'm here okay i'm right when yeah. i say that but yeah. let's go to the offensive side of the ball i mean you know the yeah. offensive side though um tell me if i'm wrong but i think he will hit third correct he's probably gonna hit third in the lineup i mean i know that might not be known yet it's still time will tell but given the situation he does hit third behind mookie betts and freddie freeman would that be the best three um starting lineup in like it's, mlb it's history pretty good, the isn't it? yeah it's pretty good yeah I mean, what do you? Th I mean, it could be more. It could. It probably could be the top uh, starting lineup in MLB history. Just those it three could guys. Be. Yeah, it could be because I mean, you know, you've got Will Smith, who their catcher, who's usually a thirty home run guy. You've got Jason Hayward, who resurrected his career last year and did very, very well. You've got Gavin Lux coming back. He does very, very well. Max Muncy, I believe he hit thirty or forty last year, so he is very effective. And then you've got Freddie and you've got Mookie. So, and with Otani now, it's it's a lot of offense. There is no question about it. Yeah, and and you mentioned him take you know um, basically deferring his money to the end of the end of his contract. But it's you Dodgers are probably going to make up this money pretty fast, especially with all the money they're going to get from Japan overseas. All the Dodgers fans out there. I mean, it's seven hundred million over ten years. It's not going to take ten years for. Dodgers no. will probably make 700 million off of him. And so they're, yeah. and especially with him deferring all that money to the end of the contract, they're definitely making out a big, big time with him. And check this out. So we found out that the last season with the angels, when he, especially when he was pitching and hitting in, you know, every game up until August, every homestand, his Jersey would sell out, sell out. They made millions of dollars selling his jerseys. When that hits Dodger blue, I'm sure it will be the exact same thing. Every homestand, that jersey will sell out. Okay, we are on Michigan's campus uh, with WCBN Radio, Sports Radio, this week. I got Kalen here. Uh, Kalen Flynn, I think it is, right, Kalen? Yeah, Kalen, yeah. Kalen, sorry about that. Well, Kellen, uh, this has been awesome. Uh, we've been having a fun time with you guys this week. Just tell me a little bit about what you guys do um, on campus and what you try to portray to the students uh, on campus. Yeah, so WCBN Sports is the official student voice of Michigan Athletics. And so what we do is we have kind of two different streams of content. We have our uh, on-air game broadcasts. We travel across the country with a bunch of the different teams. I mean, we've done road trips for football. Obviously we do every football game, but we try to do 
as many men's and women's basketball games as possible, as many hockey games as possible. Uh, we have a really nice softball following. And so we're all over the place. We cover um, pretty much everything that makes good radio. And then we have our, our talk show four days a week on the FM airwaves. Yeah, I was on it. I don't know when uh, I know I was on it on either Monday or Tuesday. I'm not sure when it when it's going to get released. But yeah, you guys, I talked with Dan and uh, I, I talked with um, Dan and Will and, you know, we had a really good conversation. Michigan coming up against Alabama, obviously a juggernaut or a match coming up, probably the best offense uh, Alabama has seen all year and then maybe the best de- or probably the best offense Michigan has seen all year, excuse me, and then probably the best uh, defense Alabama has seen all year. What are you kind of thinking about this game coming up in about three weeks here, Kellen? Yeah, I haven't really dove deep into my Alabama prep yet, but um, just kind of on a surface level, maybe a, a thousand foot perspective. I think this game's so interesting because I think this is, and we talked about it Monday at our, our show. Um, I, I think this game is going to be the last test for Michigan and schools like Michigan across the country in the sense of there's about three or four schools that recruit at a hyper elite level year in, year out. And it's Ohio state, Alabama and Georgia. And sometimes LSU's up there. Sometimes Clemson's been up there, but Mm -hmm. for the most part, it's those three schools and those three schools have dominated it on the national level in terms of winning national championships and whatnot. And, I think this is the last chance to see if one of those schools can truly some a school not that's not one of those three can win a national title. And I yeah. think Michigan has the best chance to do it of any team we've seen in years. And from a strictly Michigan perspective, this is the best chance the program's had at a national championship in uh, two decades, three decades mm-hmm. since the, the 97 team. So um a lot of fun on in Ann Arbor right now. A lot of fun on campus, but it's going to be a good one come New Year's Day. Yeah, well, me and Will, when I when I came on your show, uh, me me Will and Dan were talking about it a little bit. How um, it's it just describe how important this win is in light of all the um, controversy that's been coming on with you know Hardball and the team in general. It's 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 it would a win would be very nice uh, playoff win and then the national championship win would be amazing because there's a lot of controversy with the team right now and it would be their way of showing people like hey we didn't really cheat we we we're still a good team regardless of the scandal that's going on so we don't need signs we don't need uh, any scouting to be able to beat up on teams and so how important is this win uh, coming up just to be able to show people that yeah obviously people everyone has their take on what went down with that whole uh, deal. I think it's an excellent opportunity to continue to prove that these players are really, really good football players. This coaching staff is a really, really good coaching staff. I mean, you look at what they've put together since uh, Connor Stallions left the program, still haven't lost, they still haven't lost a game Mm -hmm. and they beat Ohio state. They won the big 10 again, beat Penn State in Happy Valley. So they've gone on the road and beaten a top 10 team. They beat their rival. They won the conference. Um, but obviously, you still have to to prove it on the biggest stage possible, and that's going to be the Rose Bowl against Alabama. So yeah. I'm excited for the opportunity for the, the players and the team. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Do you think Sharon Moore will be a head coach somewhere else next year? I don't. No? I think that he very clearly has – is the next in line here at the university of Michigan. And I am of the belief, and this isn't any insider knowledge or anything, Mm -hmm. just my personal opinion that Harbaugh is not going to be around for the next decade. Um, And so I think if you're Sharon Moore, barring an unbelievable top 10 job offer coming across your desk, you ride it out for the next couple of years, knowing that you've got the keys to a well-oiled top 10 job in the country um, okay. in just a few years now. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. What, um, you know, you might as well have your first coaching job be one of an elite team and not have to struggle with, you know, a, a lesser team that, you know, doesn't have as much money or recruiting or power or leverage or any of the resources. So it's a good point. Yeah. Ride it out. You mentioned though, a uh, hardball. Not being around the next 10 years, I think that's very uh, clear to say. I think that would be 
I would definitely agree with that. But any indication he might leave even in the near future, the next year or two? Um, I don't know. It's yeah. it's kind of one of those things. I think there might be a couple. There's definitely going to be a couple of NFL jobs that open up. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere like L.A. might be intriguing for him just because you've got a quarterback in place in Justin Herbert, and it's maybe not a complete teardown. But, again, I have no insider information or anything. This is all just pure speculation. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if, if he's not here in, say, three years. I That wouldn't surprise me at all. But, again, I think elements of that are, one, he's likely going to be without J.J. McCarthy, if not next year, then for sure two years from now. And he's going to have to break in a new quarterback, too. He knows that the program will be in good hands if he leaves. He obviously cares very deeply about the Michigan football team. And knowing that Sharon Moore has proved himself to be a more than capable head coach, beating Ohio State, beating Penn State on less than 24 hours notice, mm-hmm. um, that's not something you'd be too concerned about if you're Jim Harbaugh. So I, I think he kind of has the luxury to yeah. – go year in, year out, and and make that decision. Is it the best for recruiting? No, but um, clearly he's a great head coach and proven it at multiple levels. So uh, I'm just happy he's still in Ann Arbor right now. I've heard a lot of people, you know, a lot of people were saying, you know this too, that this scandal was maybe what's going to, you know, lead him out of college coaching. Uh, That was going to be the final straw that would basically kick him out of college coaching uh, once and for all. But we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, like you said, there's going to be plentiful of head coaching jobs uh, available. There's already head coaching jobs available. The offseason hasn't even started yet. So we'll have to see what happens there. Yeah, and down there. something like a – depending on how this season goes at Michigan, if he's mm-hmm. able to win a national championship and bring one home for his alma mater and get it done, then, yeah, maybe, all right, check that box. The next, the last thing on his bucket list, so to speak, as a coach is a Super Bowl, and you got to go to the NFL to do that. And mm-hmm. I think anyone that's – if Michigan wins a national title to that complains about Harbaugh, I mean, come on. He, yeah. he just won a national title. You, yeah. You're happy about that. I do want to bring up two quick things uh, that were kind of circulating in the news. Uh, one – a pitcher coming out. Uh, I've been hearing this pitcher's name a lot. I've been seeing this pitcher's name a lot in the headlines. Uh, Yoshinobu uh, Yamamatsu. He is supposedly one of the best pitchers coming out in a long time. Uh, contract is projected to be larger than Garrett Cole's record-breaking contract for a pitcher. He's a uh, he's a Japanese pitcher. He's been pitching in uh, the, the Nippon Professional Baseball mm-hmm. League o- over the last seven years. He's one of the hottest free agents on the market and his numbers for his contract, his projected numbers uh, keep climbing. And there's a lot of teams uh, really interested. It looks like it's going to most likely be a bidding war between the Mets and uh, the Yankees. It's going to be a bidding war between the two New York teams. Uh, Steve Cohen, David Stearns, I mean, they flew out to Japan. He also sat down with the Yankees. They're being very aggressive with him. I mean, other teams, Giants, uh, Red Sox, Blue Jays are also in the mix as well, but yeah, I just wanted to bring him up because I've been I've been seeing his name and coming up a lot, and I, I had no idea who he was. I had nothing really didn't really know anything about him, especially I'm not really following baseball as much, given that obviously the playoffs, I mean, the the baseball is not in season. But um, what do you? I mean, have you heard anything else that about him, Zach? That you wanna? No, I haven't yeah. heard anything else. But I'm not surprised that the Yankees are involved because they need pitching in the yeah. worst way, and I'm not surprised the Giants are involved because they put out an equal offer for Otani. He just happened to True. choose the Dodgers. It seems like the Giants are always in the mix for these big free agents yep. and never get them. Yep. I'll bid, maybe. Yeah. I mean, he might, it might help with the Giants, though, given, of course, West Coast and him coming from Japan. Yeah. Um, but that we thought this, yeah, you know, we thought the same with Shohei Otani, and that, that worked out. A little bit. It's kind of, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, there's, a, there's other implications, too, for free agent pitchers because i know like blake snell for example he's likely waiting on yamamatsu to sign uh as he would be the best available pitcher to make a bid for you know jordan montgomery's another name tyler glass now for the rays corbin burns for the brewers dylan cease for the white Sox. i mean shane Be- shane bieber as well there's a lot of names for uh, free agent pitchers that are just waiting to for him to sign because once he signs they know that there's going to be teams that didn't get him and that will have vacant much needed 
pitching uh, openings filled. So, yeah, a lot of implications for just other free agent signings for pitching, and we'll just kind of see where he goes. Timetable, January 4th is um, when he is expected to sign. I think he needs to sign by then. I'm not really sure why, but he does have until January 4th, but all signs do indicate that he will be signing prior to the new year. The only, only other thing I saw that I really wanted to kind of touch base on because I thought was kind of interesting, MLS. Um, the best MLS teams are not going to be participating in the U.S. Open Cup next year and in the future. Uh, I thought it was a big news because if you look online, Twitter, Instagram, I mean, you look just social media and online elsewhere, people were really, really mad about this. So breaking it down kind of, you know, it's just what it what it entails and what it really meant was – uh, MLS, they came out this past week saying that the best teams are not going to be participating in the U.S. Open Cup that happens every single year. Instead, they'll be basically entering their, you know, their D-League, quote-unquote, teams or affiliate teams, like their farm teams for each team. Uh, of course, the Open Cup, U.S. Open Cup, is where the MLS teams will face off against other American teams, you know, Mexico, uh, South America, uh, and even some teams in Canada, I think, also are eligible for the U.S. Open Cup. Single elimination tournament founded in 1914. Uh, it provided a really meaningful competition between MLS and the first division teams in MLS and the other teams in the American uh, soccer system. MLS owners voted this week, like I said, uh, to reserve their teams. Uh, and mm-hmm. well, like I said, we're sending their yeah. affiliate lesser talented teams now to the 2024 tournament and further. Darn Garber. A uh, long-time U.S. soccer board member uh, quoted very poor reflection on what it is that we're trying to do with soccer at its highest level. So that was the reasoning for it. They just didn't think it really aligned with their expectations and what they wanted to do for the MLS going forward. So, yeah, a lot of people were upset, though. A lot of people were, were upset, not really happy, and apparently a lot more people like the U.S. Open yeah. Cup than we thought because you look online, people were pissed. <laughs> New week's resolution, Zach. What is your new week's uh, resolution? Your Patrick Mahomes stopped throwing the ball to Kadarius Tony. He can't catch anything. We saw it yesterday. He just had another ball right in his hands that led to an interception. He's killed this team at least, cost them at least two games this year. The Lions game and the game, obviously, against the Bills last week. And he's just unreliable. You could even throw Sky Moore into that conversation. The Chiefs receivers are just so unreliable. If you're Patrick Mahomes, you throw the ball to Travis Kelsey and – I don't know who else. Noah Gray, perhaps, might be your number two option at this point. But, I mean, my God, the wide receivers for Kansas State have to be better because they're wasting the best defense of the Mahomes era by far. Patrick's still very good. And, you know, they were able to actually run the ball a little bit yesterday with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So the wide receivers have got to step up. Yeah, yep. Um, My new week's resolution, uh, Detroit Pistons, Buy out Monte Williams. Uh, he over the offseason he got a six-year, seventy-eight million dollar contract. Detroit Pistons, of course, are on an absolute nosedive. They are terrible right now. Uh, the Pistons committed a lot of money for him, so firing him mid-season doesn't seem likely. But um, the Pistons, like I said, are absolute an absolute dumpster fire right now. It's hard to tell if he's doing a bad job coaching or if the Pistons are just that historically bad. But still, I mean. The Pistons currently are the third worst scoring team in the league. Uh, bottom top 10 defense. They're averaging a minus 10 point differential on the season so far. Um, so, yeah, they're just an absolute dumpster fire of a team. He might get the rest of this year to show if he can turn the team around and push them in the right direction. But he's absolutely on the hot seat. It's never been hotter because this this Detroit Pistons team is a historically, historically bad team. I'm actually looking right now if they're still on a losing yeah. record. Or a losing streak. Yeah, 23. Three to go for the record. Uh, losing streak. Yeah, the Cavs oh, set really? the record. Is that, 26 that, straight. Six, not, not the Sixers? Okay. I kinda, Sixers weren't far No, from, they you know, weren't far think, off. But, uh, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So, they, so they, they won two games this year. So they must have won the first game and lost the second and then won the third and then just have been losing ever since. That's the 23. Uh, the Sixers lost 28 straight, but that was spanning two seasons. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it would be the yes. biggest single season. Yeah. Got it. Jeez. Yeah. Cause I know I was, was going to say, I know the Sixers were not far from that 